blessed assurance. Let's take our Bibles out, if you will, again. We're going to turn back to John chapter 6. And we will be looking uh, today at John chapter 6, and uh, disregard that. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 38. It says 16 through 21 on there. Disregard that one. We're going to move forward, obviously. And uh, we're not going to reread our verses. We've already read them during the reading time this morning. So we won't read the entire lot here today as we get into our message. But we will continue to break each one of them down as we uh, move forward in our part 5 of our John 6 sermon series. So John in chapter 6, we're going to read the first few verses beginning in verse 22 today. And the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning is going to be the motive. The motive. Look at verse 22, and it says, In the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, and after that the Lord had given thanks And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And verse 25 says this, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Father, we do pray that you bless the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. We ask you, dear God, to work in a mighty way. Give us guidance, grace, and mercy, Lord. Bring our collective thoughts right here onto the page that you've given us today, Lord. Help us apply it into our life, dear God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise your wonderful name. We think of a man like Brother Mel this morning. We lift him up to you in prayer. Ask that you richly, wonderfully touch him. Bless his body. Help him feel better, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So by way of introduction, I want to bring... A few thoughts just out of the verses that we opened up with. We'll, we'll steadily move quickly past verse 22 through 25. But, but what we find here are the people, uh, they, they followed Jesus Christ. Uh, they looked for him. They found him not, found his disciples not. Uh, somehow they knew his disciples left in his ship, but Jesus wasn't with them, but he wasn't left behind. So what do they do? They go following. They go looking for him. They go seeking for him. And at, as we look at that, as you begin to open up and unfold the verse, in your mind you think, that's a pretty good thing. They're going to look for Jesus. They want to know where he went. But again, we're going to look and address the issue of the motive this morning. So the first thing they do, and really and truly, guys, Jesus Christ just unpacks this thing, I mean, to the gill. He's really and truly getting ready to preach one of the hardest sermons uh, that he preaches in his ministry. And as we, as we begin to trickle down in the weeks to come, uh, John chapter 6 in this chapter, we're going to find out the results of this hard preaching. But today we find when it comes to hard preaching-wise, he is really begin to, uh, he's beginning to unpack it now. He's beginning to lay the groundwork. He's beginning to bring the introduction, if you will, of uh, why they are there and who are present. And so the first thing that you do, the first thing they do is they begin to ask him questions of his purpose of travel. Why did he, uh, why did he come there? And at first glance, this may seem sincere. It may seem like there's a, a line of questioning that is, is more or less inquisitive or even concerned, but as time will show, time will tell a different story. In that thought, guys, we are addressing the issue of motive today, much like we see later on or as we looked at in week one of the motivation, and we'll see that here in just a little while. Beloved, you know, when you begin to break down and look at our society as a whole, 
Let's look at our country. Did you know that our country, did you know that, that, that Great Britain, did you know that our country, not just specifically Wales, but, but all four countries making up the United Kingdom, did you know that we have the low, one of the lowest countries in all the world of church attendance? Of church attendance. Church attendance remains stronger in certain demographics. It, it remains stronger in older demographics. Uh, it's more common for women to go to church than it is for men, which I think is an outright disgrace. Not that women are coming, but that men aren't. That's what I'm saying. Praise God for the women who stay faithful and, and stick it in there. It's many, many, many churches, if not most of them today. Chapels in the valleys are open only because a handful of women kept them open because the men lost their backbone and sat home and became lazy quitters, if you will. There's evidence, guys, that links church attendance with health benefits. Matter of fact, the Pew Research Center discovered uh, they've linked regular church attendance with happiness and several studies associated church attendance with a decreased amount of Alzheimer's disease. Research has demonstrated also that church attendance was found to have a protective effect against the emergence of mood problems among older adults. Another study discovered that consistent pattern, uh, a consistent pattern of lower systolic and diastolic blood pressure among frequent church attenders was found compared to those of infrequent attenders. I read another study here, and I'll just give you a few more uh, statistics today for some research. But further research has found that infrequent, and infrequent church attendance is considered to be never or less than weekly. Infrequent attendees uh, had significantly higher rates of circulatory uh, uh, problems, cancer, digestive, and respiratory, respiratory mortality. With respect to students, one scientist found that religious attendance promotes a higher intergenerational closure, friendship networks, and higher educational resources and norms, and extracurricular participation. Research conducted by the Harvard School of Public Health found that regular attending church services together reduces a couple's risk of divorce by 47%. 47% of going to church together. Now, guys, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. That's in, it sounds encouraging. I, I mean, I'm going to tell you this. I personally do not believe that we should have to have statistics and proof that our life in this world is going to be better to come to church. Amen. We're commanded to be in church. Now, guys, uh, we understand church attendance should not be an option. Other things should not be booked during church days. You're setting yourself and your family up for failure. When you say, it's okay, we got to go do this, this, and this, and we'll put the church on the background. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 tells us to forsake not the assemblies of yourself together, as the matter of some is, but all, the, all much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see that day coming, as we see that day of the Lord's appearing in the air, we need to put aside those things. And if it falls in the hours and the times of the church, guys, you know what? You just don't do it. Amen. You say, well, preacher, I can't do it. I raised four children like that. My wife and I raised four children like that. We didn't miss church, do you understand? Not for anything other than sickness. As a matter of fact, before we moved here, we had canceled church three times in 12 years. One was because of a tornado, and the other one was the Nashville flood. All right? Actually, we didn't even cancel church because of the tornado. We canceled a youth revival on Friday night, but we had it on Saturday. I'm not saying that to say, look at us and do this and that. What I'm telling you, you as parents and adults today, you got to make the hard choices and you got to set the examples now for your family because we see the day coming. We see the day when time is no more here and we've got to begin to unpack our motive in life. What are we putting in front of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Why are we going after him? You know, church members would be infuriated if the pastor's heart was not knit to the local church, wouldn't you? And rightly so, you should. If my heart was not knit right here, you should take me out and chuck me out the door in a heartbeat. If, if I allowed every little thing, and I've heard stories and accounts of, of certain men and ministers, of, uh, heads of churches and heads of organizations, and every little thing that comes into their life, they just don't go to church. They cancel or they have somebody else fill in for them. You know what? I believe in all my heart, God gave me this pulpit right here. It's my responsibility to have this pulpit. But should it be different in the pews? Should not your heart be knitted knit in the pews today, just as mine should be knit in the pulpit? What's the difference? Ask yourself this today. Ask yourself this question. And I'm going to ask you a question this morning that was asked to me over 20 years ago, and it is something that has driven me ever since. Would you like to pastor a church full of church members just like you? As faithful as you? As sacrificial as you, as loving as you, as compassionate as you, as giving as you. Now, guys, look, I'm not, I'm not picking on any one person. This is a question that we all have to address in our life because we're looking at a group of people now that, are, that have followed Jesus. They've located Jesus. And you're going to begin him to see, see he, unpo- he unfolds their motive, my friend. So ask yourself that question. I, had, I was asked that question, again, over 20 years ago, and it has driven me ever since. Did you know that 96% of people admit that they would or did go to church solely because they were invited by someone else? Do the math. How many people are you inviting to church? How many people are you inviting to the house of God? How many people are we witnessing to on a weekly basis? You see, beloved, the, the motive is vitally important. The, re- the, 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 the reason behind our being, our looking for Jesus, our finding of Jesus. The statistics on health, man, that is a blessing. That's great. I, I'm, I am, I'm great to see that there are physical benefits and mental and emotional benefits in this life today from being a regular church attending. Now, I'm pretty sure about that, that diastolic and that uh, systolic. I don't think they were interviewing pastors. I got to tell you that. I think it was just church members they were interviewing having a lower blood pressure. Amen. But I'm going to tell you this, guys. The motive here that we find in John chapter 6 really reveals something to us, I believe. So notice with me first this morning how quickly the Lord begins to reveal to them and reveal to us their reason. Their reason for why they came. Remember, they show up, right? And they start asking questions. Why did you get here? Why are you here? Why did you, you know, what's going on? And look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, we saw that in verses 1 through 3, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. The Lord Jesus Christ exposes their motive, he does. And much like our first message that I just alluded to in the series, uh, the motivation it was called, uh, found in verses 1 through 3, there were those who followed Jesus Christ. They came to Jesus Christ just because they saw with their eyes the miracles of the disease who were healed. Now, the Lord tells this lot right here that came after him, saying, you're not following because of what you saw, but you're following because of what you ate, because your bellies were full. 
And I mentioned this, I know, before, guys, and I'll repeat it. Coffee mornings and free coffee, tea and biscuits and all that stuff. Those things are good things to pull people in. I'm not, I'm not browbeating those things. I'm not speaking negative of those things. But I am telling you this, how you get someone is how you're going to have to keep them. You start taking away the, the free meal. You start removing the free coffee, free tea, free biscuits. And I'm not talking about our fellowship. I'm talking about off day, Tuesdays, whatever, Thursdays, having the coffee out, having the sign out saying, coffee morning, come on in, free coffee, free biscuits. And you sit around in your fellowship, and then you try to slip in the, <clears throat> the gospel here and there. And I know people do it. I know churches do it. And I also realize that COVID took a little bit of a, of a, of a, a dent in that as well. But I'm telling you this, when people begin to lose the free meal, one by one, they'll steadily fall away. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13 tells us this, and meats are for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. We need to understand what we're doing here today. We need to understand what is our motive. And, and guys, we, we have created a culture this morning. We've created a culture in our world today uh, who asks, what am I going to get out of this? Not what can I put into it? I was told early on as a young, a young man, a young Christian, uh, very new to Christianity, very new to, uh, to Bible-believing Christianity, very new to the, to the whole process. I, I didn't know, any, knew my, know much about it. And I had, a, I had a man tell me, he said, Brother BJ, what you need to do today is to get into that church, seek your heels, and be the best church member that you can be despite what everybody else does. You get in and you sell out and you serve God in every capacity that he has given you free will to do. You be the best member that you can be. You be committed. You be dedicated. But not today. We have a world today that, that thinks, what can I get for free? We have this, this free mentality and it's destroyed our society. It's produced a lazy people who refuse to work. They refuse to labor because, you know, they can just get it somewhere else for free, they think. Beloved, nothing in life is free. Not, nothing. It costs someone somewhere something. You say, well, salvation is free. It wasn't free to God. Amen. It's free to you, but it costs God everything. It's free to me, but it costs my God everything. So there's nothing in this world today that is free. Everything has a cost to someone somewhere praise god for the free will of eternal salvation today praise the lord for his free gift to us jesus christ just simply in this verse exposes their heart the reason for coming to him the reason for following and he exposes the reason and he moves forward with the rebuke with the rebuke look there in the next verse with me if you will now pick up in verse 27 watch what he says here he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. If you take notes in your Bible, I would circle that first word, meat, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Circle that and draw a line out of your margin and just write carnal slash temporary. Carnal slash temporary. The word carnal means, carnal means fleshly. Carnal, you, you know what a carnivore is, a meat eater, all right? What is a carnival? The word carnival is a compound word, a flesh festival, flesh fest. That's what it is. I'm not saying don't go to carnivals and fairs and go ride the rides. I'm not saying that. My wife won't ride the rides. She hates those things. She's, scared. She's just convinced they're not safe, which I guess they're not, but nonetheless. But what the Lord is saying here, he's telling them, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Labor not for the carnality. 
Labor not for the temporary benefits. Labor not for that. Then he turns around and says, but rather, he says, that meat which endureth for unto everlasting. If you, you, again, mark in your Bibles there, you'll circle that, that second word, that second meat. Draw a line out in your margin and put spiritual slash eternal. The motive, guys, is revealed in what we are doing. Our motive is revealed in our heart. The motive is revealed, my friend, when, when things get rough and things get, uh, get uncomfortable, when things get not so convenient, when other things are placed in front of your life, you, whether your decision is going to reveal your motive. Amen. Your decision is going to reveal the motive, and it reveals it here with them. Hey, where did you go? We were looking for you. You wasn't there. Your disciples are gone. When did you come over here? They didn't come to Jesus Christ and say, praise God, we love you, bow down, and thank you for being who and what you are. No, where, where'd you go? We need it. You know, it's, hey, man, look, we ate. It's 12 hours ago. We're, we're hungry again, you see. See, with carnal people, guys, with worldly souls, there's always going to be a rebuttal. You ever notice that? There's always a but if, but this and but that, a rebuttal. Look at the very next verse. Uh, actually, three verses we're going to look at. We're going to skip one, so we'll come back to that in the next point. But look at the rebuttal here. Verse 28, it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do? Circle those two words, we do, and then that we might work the works of God. Circle those words, uh, we might work the works of God. Look at verse 30 and 31. They said, Therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see how their motive is revealed? We. What can I get out of this? What can you do for me? And beloved, they're carnal people. Notice their words. What shall we do? Now, guys, uh, before we think that they're saying, hey, what can we do to help? You know, how many hoovers can we run? How many walls can we wipe down? They ain't asking that, amen. They're not asking that. It's, it amazes me. Uh, it amazes me how uh, people can do so oft, so many things during the week, but they can't run a Hoover in a church house, amen? I'll, let, I'll leave that one there and just let it float around for a little while, amen? They're not asking that. This is a personal reference to their works, number one. Their works. Carnal people will always want some sort of credit, some type of accolade, some type of achievement recognition. In other words, guys, we want to help with our salvation. That's what they're saying unto Jesus. These are those who, who, when they get to heaven, they want to come up to Jesus Christ, you know, the author and finisher of our faith, you know, the creator of all things, the savior of all, th all mankind. Hey, listen, they want to go up to him and say, boy, we did a good job, didn't we? That's, that's carnal people. That's who we're looking at here. And this is who Jesus Christ is beginning to expose their motive. I mean, think about it with just common sense today. Any works-based religion or church foundation will rise on this statement we find here, let us do the works of God. That's not talking about witnessing the gospel. Let us do what God does. I'm going to make a statement here, and it may, be, may stretch a little. Maybe a little bit in the white part of the Bible, I don't know. But that's awful, that's awful reminiscent of someone else who said, I will be like the Most High. You see, when O Lucifer, the light bearer, the second most powerful being in all the universe, the anointed cherub that covereth, he said five things that condemned him out of the third heaven, and the fifth one was, I will be like the Most High. 
I can't help but wonder if the motives here was we want a little bit of credit that you're going to get. We want to be a little bit of what you are. We see it all over the world today. Much of the world today, much of the world are convinced that they are good people by whatever definition they surmise good to be. I don't know. But they believe that they're good people and that they're going to go to heaven because of the good works. As a matter of fact, one study revealed 54% of our population believe they are going to heaven today solely based on their good works. 50, over half the population, my friend. It's no different than what they're saying right here. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? But the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How do you argue with this? I mean, how can an organization have a council meeting, vote unanimously on a works-based salvation when Scripture is so clear? That we're saved by grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor through faith, which Christ Jesus is the author and the finisher of. It's a complete disregard of Holy Scripture today to sit back and think, well, you know, I'm not bad as him. You're not being measured by him. You're not being measured according to him. You're being measured according to the perfectness of Jesus Christ himself, who knew no sin yet died for you, amen, and died for me. So we see their works. That's what they're focusing on. Secondly, we see the wickedness. Look in verse 30. And they said, Therefore unto him, what signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Think about this for just a second. Give us a sign. They're saying unto Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, prove yourself. Now, you know what? To somebody off the street who just met Jesus, and an or a Jew, because a Jew uh, requires a sign. I get that. Their whole nation was based upon signs. Okay, so you, you can't condemn the Jew in the early on portions uh, for requiring a sign. The entire nation was established according to a multitude of signs coming out of, out of Egypt. So we've got to be careful in that area. But, you know, they just got finished seeing 20-plus thousand people have a full belly with 12 baskets full of fragments afterwards off five loaves and two fish. All right, you say, well, I thought it was feeding the 5,000. You got the 5,000 men who they counted, add their wives or children, 20-plus thousand souls. And now they got the audacity after they've crossed the sea, and they have no idea how he got over there, you know, breaking the law of gravity, walking, you know, just, uh, you know eliminating all forms of physics on demand, walking across the water. Listen, and now they're going to say, you need to prove it. Yeah, I know that fish and bread thing, that was pretty impressive, but how do you know? You need to prove it now. That's wickedness, guys. That's wickedness. Why do, I, why do I use the word wicked? Why am I using that word right there? Well, I'm just going by what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it unto it <coughs> but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed, Matthew 16, 4. You see, they were filled with meat, but it didn't satisfy their carnal appetite. And that's what you find in carnality. They're never satisfied. And so, you know what the sign of the prophet Jonas, what is that sign? You know what Jesus was referring to? He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeking after a sign. There's only one sign that's going to, give to be given to the nation. One sign of the prophet Jonas. No other signs were going to be given to him. And what was that? The sign of the prophet Jonas, guys, it speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, it, 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 it was what happened to Jonah. Jonah died. Yes, he did. 
It speaks of, his, of the death of Jesus on the cross, the burial of Jesus Christ in the tomb, and his mighty and wonderful victorious resurrection. You can read from the screen, Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. After Jonah, you know, is cast into the sea, the storms are ceased, the big whale takes him in there. And, 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 and the Bible says, and said, I, uh, and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves pass over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about, and the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down into the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Watch this. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God. Working backwards, guys, we know that the Bible tells us that he would not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. Corruption is the, corrupt, is the corrupting of this flesh right here. Jonah was, his body was in the, the, the belly of that well. His soul was in the depths of hell. Now, hell in, the, in many times is the heart of the earth. I'm not saying he was in torments, but he could have been in Abraham's bosom. Amen. So we find out here that's going on. We know what happened. He dies. And then somehow we understand. So I, I love it when people think it's a Pinocchio story, you know, Pinocchio in the, in the well's belly and all that. It's not. He died. He's in the heart. He's in the heart of the earth. He's in hell. Somehow he's able to fixate himself on toward the temple of God. You think he's going to do that in the, in, the, in the belly of a well? You think he's going to understand which position or direction northeast, south, or west is in that whale's belly? Not a, not a chance. But he figured, you know what? Just like that man cried out in Luke 16, Jonah turns his, his, his self toward the temple. What temple is that? That's going to be the heavenly temple, the one that was here built in, uh, the one that's built in heaven, the one, that, the one on this earth was, was mimicked after, if you will. And he cried out unto the Lord, and the Lord delivered him three days later. That's the sign that's given unto them. But Jesus said it's a wicked generation who seeketh after a sign. Matter of fact, he says it's a wicked and adulterous generation who seeketh after a sign. So their rebuttal reveals that they're interested in their works. Their rebuttal reveals their wickedness. It also reveals in verse 31 their worldliness. Their worldliness. Look there with me if you will. He says our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know what he's saying? Look at what they got. They got manna. They got a sign. They got proof. They got evidence. See what they received? Our fathers got manna. Give us the same. Give us a sign. And really and truly, when you, when you bring it right down uh, to the middle, it's give, give, give. This is carnality. It's worldliness, my friend reveals their worldliness. Paul said in Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteousness, and godly in this present world. And this lot's not doing any of that. Yeah, they saw the miracle, but they wanted more. They got a full belly, and they wanted more. So what we have now, you have, you're always going to have the world's rebuttal. You're always going to have the carnal's rebuttal. But what about this? What about that? Give me, give me, give me, give me. Show me something. And then Jesus Christ brings them to a point of reality. A point of reality. Now we're going to fill those verses in 
Look at verse 29. Jesus Christ comes back to them after they were talking about the works of God. And verse 29 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, watch this, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. You ever notice with certain groups of people, proclaiming Christians or not, that's just not enough for them. But I want more. I want evidence of speaking in tongues. I want a miracle. I want this. I want that. I want some kind of power. I want, I want all this stuff. And Jesus says, no. You want to do the works of God? Believe on me. You want to do the works of God? Believe on him that God has sent. You want to do those? Is that what you want? The simple work is this, is belief today based on our faith in Jesus Christ. Look in verses 32 through 33. He said, Then Jesus said unto them, verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus Christ makes it clearly known that first off, the manna came from heaven, it came from God, not Moses. Secondly, the same one who sent the manna is the same one who sent the son. And thirdly, the reason he sent the manna was for you to believe on the son who was sent. It all points to Jesus, guys. From the very beginning to the very end, it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is trying to make that point here. He's having to rebuke. He's having to bring them a reality in the midst of rebuttal. He gives them the reason, exposes their heart of their motive, that it's all about themselves and not the Savior. He's doing all of these things. And so the key to it all, just like the manna, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, must be received. He must be received. We saw that last week, that they willingly received him into the ship. In verses 34 through 38, here's what we see today. And the Bible says here, verse 34, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, stop there for a second. I understand we're looking at this having known the whole story. We're seeing the finished product. I get this. So I'm not trying to just, I'm not trying to have one, you know, one over on, the, on this group that's come to Jesus Christ. More than likely, we'd all be doing the same thing they're doing, okay? But in my mind, I just followed a guy across the sea, across the, 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 the Tiberias Sea, I just followed him that just fed 20 plus thousand people from just a, a little bitty pack lunch. And now I've come before him and he's told me three and four times to believe on the one that God sent. The same one that sent the manna has sent his son. The same one that sent the manna is the one that is sealed. And everybody that comes to him, he's, you know, he will know lies. I mean, I, in my mind, somewhere along the line, I want to say, did they not just put two and two together? He just, he, he just got through telling them uh, there, that, uh, that about the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life in the world. What's the next thing? Well, give us this bread. My soul, you're looking at it. The bread is talking to you. Do you understand? I, I mean, I, I, that's what I want to, I just want you want to shake them and go, hey man, are you kidding me? Verse 34 says, and they said, just give us this bread. So what is there to receive as, as they're sat there on the edge of the sea? What is there to receive as they're sitting there listening and questioning Jesus Christ and, and rebuttaling, arguing with him? What is there to receive? Well, there's salvation to receive, verse 35. And Jesus saith unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now I stop there just for a second. 
We know good and well that he's not talking about physical hunger and thirst, is he? But spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus Christ has completed and filled us spiritually. But I promise you here, most of us by now, our stomach's growling, we're hungry, we want lunch, amen. As soon as my stomach growls, church is over with, we're going to leave. I'm kidding, I'm just joking. I'm, but we understand what Jesus is talking about. It's spiritual. He's telling them about the meat up there, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, amen. And he's trying to get it through their heads. The reality of what they need to receive simply is salvation. I am the bread of life, Jesus Christ says. Come to me. You'll never hunger. You'll have everlasting life. You'll never need any. hunger and thirst are reminders of our, our necessities in this life. All right? You can go a few days without food. You can barely go more than 24 hours without water. You'll enter into a stage of delirium once you get into dehydration. Your body will lock up. It's one of the most miserable uh, uh, deaths that, that, that can occur is the death through dehydration. The body starts shutting down. It actually starts, uh, you go into such a catabolic state that the body actually starts uh, consuming itself, if you will. You go into hallucinations and all this and that. And yet spiritually, the Bible says you'll never hunger again, never thirst. Your every need for eternal life is met through receiving Jesus Christ. Notice the sting that we find in verse 36. He says, but I, say unto you, I said unto you that you have seen me and believe not. Now there's a bit of a foreshadow there as we get into the latter part of this chapter that you're really going to see what he's talking about. But they all saw him. They all followed him. But he's revealing now their motive. You're not coming to me for salvation. You're not coming to receive the heavenly blessing. You're not coming to me to receive what, what you can get in eternal life. You're coming to me right now just to get what you can get today. There's a bit of a sting that he throws out there. But I want you to notice how it can be sealed. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality is today you will receive salvation and you will be sealed, something you can never in your entire life on this planet lose again. I will in no wise cast out. You mean, preacher, what if I get saved today? What if my counterpart gets saved? What if my friend, my neighbor, my cousin, my co-worker, what about the, the little person at the till down to the one-stop shop? What if they get saved today, and then the very next day they get in the car and, and they say a swear word? What if they get in the car, they lose their temple, their temper? What if they, they go home and all of a sudden uh, uh, they watch something they shouldn't watch? Now, I'm not advocating nor condoning any of those things. But I am confirming today that once you're saved, you're sealed. If you can't set the seal, you can't break the seal. Amen? I wouldn't trust a Savior who could save me than lose me. Jesus Christ said, if you come to me, I'll know why he's cast you out. Why? Because he's the one that's sent. He's the one that is sent. Verse 38 says, for I came down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In my heart of hearts today, I find that the group that is coming 
They're arguing with Jesus. They're questioning him. They're requesting things they ought not. I find in my soul that their motive is not only revealed. Jesus Christ begins to use this as an illustration for us all to see. The human nature and carnality and the wickedness of this world and, and the tempor temporality of this world and, and the fleshly and the worldliness of this life today will cause you to question what is right in front of you. It'll cause you to question what you have seen and witnessed and experienced yourself. It'll cause you to have doubts. And today, the motive is still important in our own life. The motive for every believer today, the motive for every single Christian today will be reviewed and examined and separated at the judgment seat of Christ. Beloved, even the motives of the lost souls today when they stand before the great white throne judgment, when they stand there and be judged by God according to their works, they're not being judged for salvation, but they're being judged by the level of torment they're going to receive for all eternity. It is going to be the very same thing that reveals our motive, and that is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 uh, tells us clearly, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing even unto dividing the sun of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it ends that verse by saying, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what's your motive this morning? What's your motive for getting up and praying? What's your motive for going to church? What's your motive today? for calling on Jesus Christ. Did you come to him at a time of darkness in your life and you thought maybe, that hey, this will get you out of the problem? It's, it's not, it never was meant to do that. I, I'm going to encourage you today as a, as a believer this morning, and I know that many people in our church, I, I understand you guys witness to people, pass tracks out, Johnny Romans, etc. But I'm going to tell you right now that when you're dealing with someone who's going through a darkness, a drug addiction, or something in their life, and you come to them saying, hey, if you just accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of that will go away. You're lying to them. You're lying to them. Yes, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That is true. Yes, they will be equipped with the power to overcome those things. But the, the same truth is this. They may deal with that and fight that for the rest of their days on this earth. Yes, they're equipped to overcome it. But it's not just going to go away. We are to witness souls for not that wit, not for the meat that perisheth, but the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. The reason in today that someone comes to Jesus Christ and the reason today that someone should follow Jesus Christ is that which who he is and what he has done. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is how and why we're saved today. We are saved because we have been bought, bought with a price. The spirit of redemption has been brought through reconciliation unto God the Father through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that we may have communion and fellowship with him, not only in this world, but in the world to come. But, beloved, I'm here to tell you this morning, our motive, for all things is discerned through the word of God. For this group right here, Jesus Christ rebuked them. They rebutted with him, and then he brought them to a reality, guys, that they needed to receive him as Lord and Savior. And I'm going to say this to us this morning. I believe that we're no different today. Now, you may be here this morning, everyone in this house this morning. You may be here saved, born again of the blood of Christ, sealed under the redemption. If you got saved when you were 12, you're still saved today at whatever age you're at. Okay, that's, that's, that is a given fact. I understand it. You may be here this morning and you're not saved. 
You may be here this morning, you've never made that, that discernible decision to place your un, unfeigned faith in the, in, the, in, the, in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe that's you. Here today, whether you are saved or whether you are not, it is the Word of God, Jesus Christ today, that will discern the motive for you coming to Him. But if you do come, He'll know why He's cast you out. If you do come this morning and your motive is sound, your motive is sure, He'll in no wise cast you out. And where he goes, there you may be also. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here, Father. And I ask you, dear God, that you would take your word and that you would place it upon our hearts. And I simply ask you today that you would impress upon every soul within earshot, be it here in the church building, be it across the seas online, wherever, and whomever it may be, I ask you, dear God, that you take the word, pierce the heart asunder. Lord, divide and conquer, if you will, that these souls may come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who are saved, I ask you today to be that encourager, to understand that, that by the one who was sent, our Savior Jesus Christ, we are yet sealed, and in no wise will be cast out. But let us examine our own motive for following him after salvation. Is it for what we can get out of it, or is it through a pure heart for what he has done for us and who he is? We conclude that the Bible has told us that there is one God and one man between man and God, and that is the, that's Jesus Christ, our, our mediator. And I just pray this morning that we would lift him up on high, May we exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life in every stage and every step that we may enter. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this is the last moment you had on this earth. When you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. 
Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.